Maybe we need Moms for Liberty to protect our children from the dangerous stuff teachers are trying to teach them and indoctrinate them. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Our guest today on Keeping Democracy Alive, Laura Jadid, writes... With the midterms looming, what better way to get parents to show up to vote than by convincing them that leftist school boards are grooming children with pornographic novels and cultural Marxism? Whoa, anyone at all familiar with electoral politics in the last hundred years can't help but recognize how incredibly effective is the ginning up and manipulation of fear. It works every time, just about. Never mind the actual policy issues that are at stake this November and candidates' positions on them. It's those scary others that we need to keep a focus on. Trump focused on making white Americans afraid of an invading horde of refugees who have darker skin than the old familiar majority. Joe McCarthy made us afraid of commies under the bed. Now, far right-wingers have taken over the Republican Party, and it's all culture war all the time. The incredible story of a Clinton-related child slavery ring in a pizza joint in D.C. Remember that? It was so bizarre. It's just one of the more extreme cases. Neo-Nazis protested a drag show in my town of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is crazy, of course. Perhaps topping it all is Senator Josh Hawley, who's beating the drum for what many recognize as toxic masculinity. He's all in favor of that. So much of the right-wing hate that we see on the streets is about fury that white Protestant men's domination and control is threatened. One arena which has already proved fruitful for the cultural and political far-right is schools. What we saw with election of Governor Glenn Youngkin in Pennsylvania is a direct indication of the power of something called Moms for Liberty. That's our focus today. Doesn't it sound great? This aspect of the culture war may prove to be the most powerful for the far right in upcoming elections. Our guest today is Laura Jadid, a freelance journalist based in New York City. She wrote about the topic on new, in the New Republic, wonderful magazine. She's eternally curious and likes to explore a wide range of topics, but often writes about housing justice, military interventionism, and the American far right. Well, this is neither housing justice nor military interventionism. Laura, how did you grab onto this topic? Uh, well, it is, um, unfortunately for everyone, at the very front and center of the American far right this midterm election cycle. And that is honestly my my kind of my wheelhouse. I do the other things, but the far right is what I really focus on these days. Um, this first got on my radar actually at CPAC uh, 2022 in Orlando, when just about every single speech that anyone gave 
alluded back to these school board moms, quote unquote. And um, you mentioned Glenn Youngkin. And yes. I think that's why he won big in Virginia in a very surprising way, um, a state that went 10 points to Biden. So people pricked up their ears and listened. And one of the big issues that was a winner for him was this issue of school boards, moms going to school boards and demanding various changes on anti-masking laws were targeted. Um Trans kids using bathrooms was a thing. And, of course, curriculum, which is what they've uh, really grabbed onto across the country. And so I wanted to know more about what this thing was, since it seemed pretty central to their um, their strategy. And then I found Moms for Liberty. Uh, as a parent myself, of course, I have an interest in what's being taught, especially when they are at a young age, elementary school. As a parent myself, of course, I have an interest in what's being taught, especially well, when they're at a young age, elementary school, and throughout Western history, those determined to instill authoritarian regimes have always known the tactical importance of reaching young kids, getting them on their side, to buy into their symbolism and their, their activities. It's, uh, you can make it fun. When you write a, what you write about Moms for Liberty, tell us about its genesis. Was it top down? How did it start? Was it at the grassroots or some combination? How did it come into being and when? Really fantastic question. Um, it came into being um, incorporated January 1st, 2021. So maybe a month and a half after Trump lost the 2020 election, which, you know, I think that timing is interesting. Um, if you look on their website, Moms for Liberty will tell you that the group was founded by Tiffany Justice and Tina Deskovich, two, you know, plucky moms who are really going forward and just, you know, making things happen. It, it definitely has that grassroots pat patina. patina? Oh, Lord. Um, thank you. It definitely <laughs> has that grassroots patina. Um, but if you are actually documents, you'll see that there's a third figure who helps found it and is on the paperwork, Bridget Ziegler. She is the wife of the Republican Party vice chair in Florida, where oh. it was uh, founded. Yeah. And um, her husband, Kristen, um, Kristen Ziegler, is on record. Uh, there's a great quote of his in The Washington Post saying for years he's been trying to figure out how to engage moms in the political process. And he says, you know, Moms for Liberty did it for me. And he credits them with um, registering fine for the first time in Florida's recorded when they since they've been recording this. More Republicans are registered in Florida than Democrats. And he credits Moms for Liberty for a lot of it. So. Grassroots is a strong word, I think, for the way it started. Mm. Um, that being said, you know, it has chapters in various, you know, uh, counties. I believe the last count was 185. It might be more now. And I think a lot of those chapters are more grassroots. It's hard to tell, of course, but definitely the members there. It's not entirely astroturfed. You know, people join this organization from the community hoping to make a difference. Although, you know, we can talk about what that difference is. Well, they use fear. The people are afraid. They, they hear these stories about... Uh, teachers uh, giving them pornographic novels and cultural Marxism, it does get them involved. And as you talk about getting mothers involved, it's interesting. I mean, Democrats look like we're on the ropes right now, but there's uh, somebody put out the idea of angry moms, angry about losing uh, reproductive rights, angry about guns, that maybe that's a something that we could, we on the left could get mothers involved mm -hmm. with, but uh, I guess Liberty, Moms for Liberty isn't about that. Oh, no, definitely not. Um, their concern is definitely, yeah, school-centered, and like you said, the idea that basically teachers and schools are indoctrinating children with progressive ideas, and um, 
you know, as you as you mentioned before, I feel like schools have been a battleground for ideas for a long time. And I think it would be disingenuous to pretend that it isn't, you know, all education is going to have some kind of ideology. And this is a battle over which ideology we're going to put in there. But, yeah, their main concern is basically that um, we're pushing, um, uh, I guess, it, it's it's a big hodgepodge, right? It's the critical race theory, quote unquote, where, you know, we're talking about some of the racial history of America that is ugly and about some of those things that, you know, persist currently. They think that's sowing division. It's kind of like the, the mentality of if I pretend it's not there, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't exist. Um, so they'd like to continue to make it not exist by pretending it isn't there. Um, and then there's um, the more and more emerging this idea of pushing back against uh, basically tolerance for LGBTQ lifestyles uh, started with stuff like trans bathroom bills and um, not allowing trans kids to play sports, which are, I think those are kind of like gateway issues where Uh you can, you can make the kind of argument that sounds compelling to a lot of people. And then you can transition into what they're doing now, which is any mention of homosexuality, homosexual relationships is not allowed under the pretense that that's grooming children, which I mean, I don't know. I feel like the world is full of people in various sexual relationships. And if you're not being graphic about it, to me, that doesn't seem like grooming. It seems like education about how the world works, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Can't have too much reality. Yeah, It's, it's fascinating mm-hmm. how uh, for so long kids have been felt that there is no homosexuality. And quite frankly, that's how kids grew up in my era. And uh, mm-hmm. it caused a lot of pain. It caused a lot mm-hmm. of pain, uh, you know, because gay kids, who, who am I? And, you know, they've, they've hurt themselves and hurt others. You mentioned there's a lot of characters in your story in uh, The New Republic. Randy Howard, you had coffee with her. Who is she? Um, Brandy Howard is the chairperson of the... Uh, Hamilton County, Tennessee, that's Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm going to refer to it as Chattanooga just because I feel like people know that more than Hamilton County. Uh-huh. Basically, she is the chairperson of the uh, Chattanooga chapter of Moms for Liberty. And um, she is somebody that I think, based on you know, based on my coffee with her and based on everything I've read of hers and all of her interviews, somebody who really believes that she's doing good. Uh-huh. Um, I don't agree, but she believes that she is protecting kids and also that she's making it so that they can better learn in public schools. Um, she's mother to two teenagers. One of them is now homeschooled. One of them is still in public school. Moved to Chattanooga just before the COVID lockdowns. And um, something interesting, it's a pattern I've noticed in a lot of people who are active in conservative and far-right circles, and honestly, a lot of activist circles, is um, big upheavals immediately preceding getting involved. And she definitely checks that box. Huh. What was the big upheaval? Um, Basically, well, it's moving. Uh, So she moved from um, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. She was in South Carolina and um, moved to Chattanooga, you know, late 2019. And then COVID hit. So Uh not only has she just moved to a place where she knows nobody. And this is me speculating, by the way. But, you know, she's a place where she knows nobody. And then COVID hits and the whole world turns upside down. I mean, I think a lot of people had a lot of uh, of changes and, and honestly moves towards activism because of that. And I think I suspect she's one of those people. Oh, interesting. Yeah, COVID really, really shook things up. Uh, as a former reporter myself, one of the most boring assignments was covering school board meetings. <laughs> <laughs> wow, has that changed? <laughs> yeah, I have some good news for you. <laughs> it is not boring any longer. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not a compliment to reporters to get that assignment. How did they, school board meetings, become front lines in the culture war? I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's because it was boring. It's because it was overlooked. Uh, Republicans lost big in the national stage. And then January 6th made it um, 
inadvisable to have large gatherings. There's, you know, been a real chill on that. And I'm not sure that's going to last forever, but we're certainly in that place now. And so they very cleverly um, turned their attention to local politics, which is not a bad strategy. Nobody goes to if you just show up to something that no one's at. Uh, You went silent for a second there. Oh, shoot. Okay, can you hear me again? I'm going to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where should I start from? I don't know. Uh, No one goes to... (laughs) I just start over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I think it was very... They've pivoted towards local issues. Uh, The great thing about scoreboard meetings is that no one goes to them and they're boring, which means that one small group of very... people can make a big difference really sway uh, policy it's it's a very clever use of force oh interesting yeah really inserting a small group and the tea party learned from that in 2010 and the democrats didn't did, did the, yes oh man well one thing i've learned from history is that we never learn from history we just don't. <laughs> <laughs> do they do the moms yeah. for liberty believe teachers have a left-wing agenda or intentionally indoctrinating our kids and let me just back up for a second there. I, it's interesting how uh, throughout a lot of the past couple of years, they, the right wing has blamed the media as if, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, do they really believe that all the reporters for all the stations get together every morning and decide what the indoctrination is going to be? I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the short answer is yes. Uh, I think a lot of them do. I don't know if they put it that way directly, but they definitely there's an idea that the, the left, which is anyone, you know, to the right, to the left of center, which, you know, that would be, you know, Liz Cheney, they would consider to be probably left wing at this point. So yeah, it's a big, big tent. Um, but the left, they think, basically does have an agenda. They a lot of them think that we are in league with communist China, quote unquote, uh-huh. to essentially destroy American values. And I think sometimes they think that some people are like unwitting dupes. I heard that that some teachers they think uh, Brandy, Brandy Howard, at any rate, thinks that some teachers don't want to be teaching this material. They have to. But, um, yeah, there, there's this idea that there's like a top down um, enforcement mechanism and that people who bucket are, you know, this is where the cancel culture argument comes in. Right. They're silenced and canceled. And that's how they keep people in line. I'm, I'm sorry. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly something. Um <laughs> It is one of my favorite things about reporting on the far right and why I didn't seem to be able to leave it, even though I've tried a couple of times, <laughs> is that there's there's it's, there's an entirely different world of facts over there. And it really is. These are things that people believe in the same way that you and I believe that the earth is round. Like this is just true. It's not there's no need for a debate because everyone knows, quote unquote, that it's true. And, you know, based on these things that they believe they know. A lot of their actions make sense. It's just, unfortunately, um, I don't think their version of reality is correct. And I think it's hurting people a lot. Yeah, the idea that, that there's some kind of agenda that all teachers must follow. Maybe maybe they think the uh, the uh, teachers union is uh, dictating down to them. It could well be. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So the teachers union is the enemy. Big capital letters on that. And to be fair. There is, you know, that when you have a curriculum, the curriculum tells teachers how to teach. So there's a there's a note of truth in here. It does mm-hmm. not come from communist China. But there is, you know, when you teach a kid that, um, you know, Cindy has two moms, that is a political statement. I, and I happen to think it's a good one. I happen to think that's a statement that can help kids lead happier, healthier lives, especially the ones who find themselves to be LGBTQ. But it is it is an agenda. And this is a war over what the future of America and what American values are. Wow. I wonder how, it, it reminds me of, you know, going in small groups 
attacking, I mean, the school board's perfect place, you know, uh, making it small. I wonder how much success they're having. And I, I sense they're having a fair amount of success. It, it's been going since 2021, which isn't a lot of time. But uh, mm -hmm. if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking to uh, Laura Jadid, who's written about uh, Moms for Liberty. What is Moms for Liberty? What is the new tactic of going to small groups, uh, to school board meetings, and uh, how powerful is it in turning this country to the right? Tell us about the blue t-shirts. It's always nice to have symbolism. Mm -hmm. Symbolism is so important. Something you can easily grab onto, like, ah, that says it. They can't all be made locally. What are what are these blue t-shirts? Any idea where they come from? Sure. Um, you'd asked you'd ask that uh, before I came on, and I did a little bit of research, could not find out, uh, which to me indicates probably not in America, because if they were made in USA, it would be an advertising point. Right. Of course, America is facing what may be a really pivotal election this fall. Should we not? We, you know, trip Democrats all the way from the Clinton people to the traditional Democrats, the Bernie people, should we not be reminded of the unexpected wipeout of Democrats in 2010 by the Tea Party. Oh, yes. Oh, I think this is exactly analogous. Um, and this isn't just me talking. I think a lot of people, like you said, are seeing real parallels here. Well, you've got a, a group that looks like grassroots is probably, you know, somewhat astroturfed, but is also a real ex expression of a groundswell of some kind of emotion. Um, it's it's from an ointment excuse me, it's minority, but it's a vocal minority. And I do think that, um, I mean, the whole game of the midterms is who shows up because it uh -huh. infamously off your elections, it's real hard to get people to the polls. And what you've got here is, you know, a very powerful cultural moment with, you know, very similar to the Tea Party, this very visceral thing that people can get very emotional about. And then what do you have on in the Democrat side? Um, mm. The economy isn't doing great for regular people. You know, um, there's been a lot of disappointments with agendas. You know, Manchin has certainly done a number on any um, number of Democratic reforms that might have passed. And um, I, I don't really see a lot of Democrats being super excited to go to the polls. I mean, maybe Roe v. Wade will galvanize them, but it feels like mm. that's, um, you know, closing the barn door after the horse has escaped. So I worry a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really don't know, but because uh, one thing I've learned as a recovering politician myself, you have to stand for something. You have to stand for something. I mean, back in 2016, Hillary was not Trump. Yeah, how well did that work? Mm -hmm. what, what was she for? We have to be for something. And the fact that it's so clear what they're for, you know, this... this uh, banning books, et cetera, et cetera, and closing down on the culture war. And what are we mm -hmm. for? We are seem to be afraid to touch that, you know, about uh, 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 trans bathrooms and things like that. The culture war seems to connect. And what the heck are Democrats saying about it? How are we going to get, I, I, I don't know why, you must have, well, maybe you don't. Do you have any ideas about how the Democrats could perhaps connect with people on the culture war issues that we're not doing? Yeah, I mean, that is that is the million dollar question, yeah. right? Because I agree at this point, the Democrats entire argument is you don't want Trump back to you. And um, right. I think the answer may surprise them. Um, but yeah, I agree. And I think that there is a lot of, as usual, compromising on these issues. And it's hard because these issues 
hit emotional buttons, it's much easier to say there's pornography in the classrooms and to be like, well, you see, these books do talk about sex, but blah, blah, blah. And there's a, there's an argument there, but it's a much harder argument to deliver. And I don't know what except I, I do think that taking a very firm stance against it really hammering home perhaps the, the liberty aspect of this saying you know uh -huh. these are moms for liberty but what exactly is this liberty children should be free to read a wide variety of books learn about a wide variety of lifestyles so that they can choose pushing back against this idea like this there's um a big thing is that there's this idea of parental rights like parents yes. have a right to decide what their kids learn and that's something that i think we need to take on very carefully because of course you don't want to be telling parents what to teach their kids but i think the message needs to be kids get to learn all about all kinds of things you know kids get to learn about different kinds of lifestyles and different ideas and then they can choose that's liberty i think that might be a good tactic mm, to take i like that idea i like that idea too because they have their own definition of liberty and uh yes that's not the only definition of liberty there is and the idea of learning about things that you know these parents they have other jobs they're not teachers we have teachers because they're trained to teach and they know, at least in theory, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And we've always trusted them in the past, I think, for the most part. Every now and then there's something mm -hmm. uh, a little bit crazy. And I, I was. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I agree. And I mean, I just think, you know, it's always good to question what kids are being taught, because as you said, that's one of the most important things a society can do, I think, is to teach kids. But I don't think that. I think the, the winning thing is, yeah, like we should be asking what teachers are teaching and sure. teachers are mostly teaching good stuff and maybe they could teach it more. But the, the core issue here isn't like, I don't know, I don't think, you know, we should trust teachers like we always have is a compelling argument for people who feel like the world is being turned upside down. Sure. I really think the winning argument is, look, kids need to learn about the world they live in. Kids need to learn what's real. Kids need to learn different ideas. That's liberty. Don't you dare take this liberty away. Like that's the I feel like freedom is just the word that you have to find a way to put into politics because this is America. Uh -huh. and that is the word, you know. <laughs> that's an interesting point, because if if you're not if you just uh you know, teaching in a in a box about you know just you can't teach this, you can't teach this. That's not that's not real mm -hmm. liberty, and it's not. <laughs> no, liberty is is being able to decide for oneself and look around and see what's real, and uh, make decisions based on that and be an, an individual. I, I was brought up to see book banning as dangerous and fascist. Mm -hmm. You talk about the replacement of To Kill a Mockingbird with Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy. I know the one book, mm -hmm. but frankly, I, I don't know Brian Stevenson's book. I know who he is, of course, but I don't know mm -hmm. his book. This happened in Chattanooga. How did that affect Brandy Howard's daughter? What was her fear um, of people of color hating her? Uh, why was that not a legitimate fear? Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so this is interesting. And for people who haven't read the article, which, you know, is probably a lot, um, basically what got... Brandy Howard involved in Moms for Liberty was that her daughter was, as you said, uh, the book To Kill a Mockingbird in her English class was replaced with Just Mercy. Now, I confess I have not read Just Mercy, um, but it is a book that deals with, you know, with racism and the racism within the system in the same way that To Kill a Mockingbird does um, with a more modern spin and um, basically what upset Brandy was this idea that basically the book was being taught in her opinion as a 
a, a denouncement of police, the idea that racism is systemic in America. Now, I would argue that all of those things are true and yes. worth discussing. Yes. But that was the problem. But she said that the last straw for her was when her daughter came up to her and said, you know, Mom, I never used to notice – you know, when people look different than me, but I'm now, when I see a black person, I worry that they're going to hate me because I'm white. And to me, that's actually kind of a teachable moment. I would think like that Brandy's Brandy Howard's reaction was to pull her kid out of a public school, get her into homeschooling and tutoring, and then go and find information on the internet about what she could do about this. And that's what led her to moms for Liberty. And it led her to find the Chattanooga chapter. Another way to handle that could have been to be like, yeah, there's a lot of racial tension in America, and that does happen sometimes, but that's not the point of this. You know, the point of this is that we need to figure out how to fix this. You don't have to feel bad as an individual. You didn't, no one, no one alive did this, but we still have to solve it. And I don't, you know, that's, that's something that could happen, but I don't think it's something that you, you need to worry about is a possible other way to handle this. And it's like these, you know, talking about racial issues is going to bring up hard feelings. It is scary. You know, this idea that, We've been born into a world where there's really serious inequality and we didn't mean to do it or ask for it. We don't want to be blamed for it. But and yeah, I think that we need to start negotiating that in, in, a, in our society if we're ever going to fix this. Boy, it sure would be nice just to snap our fingers and make it all go away. And, every, you know, there had never been racism, oh, no slavery. I when I was brought up, I <laughs> in the 50s, I remember <laughs> seeing uh, racist, you know, attacks on TV, in black and white, of course. And I thought, oh, man, that only happens down south. That is, racism mm -hmm. is an aberration. It's a bizarre aberration. It's only done by a minority of really ugly, nasty people. And it's amazing how, of course, I learned through life later no, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's absolutely. And that slavery was something just bizarre and something ugly that, yes, it did happen in America, but it's not that important in our history. Uh, so mm -hmm. what's your, your reaction to that? I mean, we need to know about such things. And the fact that that girl was afraid that people would hate her uh, for being white Maybe that is, as you say, a teachable moment that, my goodness, why do black people feel that way? Mm -hmm. Right. And what can we do about it? And what can you do as a white person without getting into white fragility and white guilt to, to productively deal with that fear and then move forward and, you know, work for change without going into, you know, kind of self-centering self-recriminations. And I mean, I think that's something mm -hmm. that we're struggling with as a society. I mean, if I feel like if we had an answer for that, that was working, we could, you know, we could tell her, but the, the truth is, I think a lot of adults struggle with that. And that's the terrifying thing is that, you know, we had a place where we were teaching a certain thing and it was a very comforting thing. This idea that, yeah, yeah, there was slavery, but we stopped, we fought a whole war and then we all lived happily ever after <laughs> the end. That's a really beautiful story. <laughs> Untrue. <laughs> It's nice. And then we're basically replacing it with there's a huge problem. No one knows how to solve it. And the adults in the room don't know what to do. And that's uh, horrible. That's a horrible thing. And like, I do get a little bit irritated at some of the people on the left or, or liberals who make it sound like this is so easy. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Just admit racism exists. Like, it's a huge deal. This is really hard stuff. I think maybe not just in schools, but as a society, we need to admit this is really hard. There's no good solution. It's going to be generations. This sucks. You know, I mean, Randy, Randy Howard's kid isn't entirely wrong. It's just that the answer isn't going back to the safe, you know, the safety of a lie. We got to push forward. Right. Yeah, I, I know uh, people who uh, 
who do feel guilty, you know, white people who feel guilty and not like they personally did anything about it, but just knowing that what we've done in the past. But, you know, the fact is uh, Germany faced its ugly past and they've learned about it. They've required to learn about it. And I I wonder how the Moms for Liberty would feel about uh, teaching about the, uh, the Holocaust if they were in Germany. My goodness. Yeah. That's an interesting question. <laughs> well, Moms for Liberty is focused entirely on schools and curriculum, appropriate appropriate education for our children. All that sounds nice. From what you've seen, is that that's got to be at least somewhat sincere. What, what's your sense? Oh, yes, absolutely. No, I mean, I think that, you know, you can have something that's both practical and, and, and moral. I don't think this is personally does not match my morality. But I do think, I mean, look, this it's it's nice that something that I think they think is going to win the midterms, they also think is correct. Um, and I do think that's, I mean, that's something that I got very strongly from, you know, every Moms for Liberty meeting I've attended and really every far right I've ever attended with the possible exception of some moments at CPAC. Um, you know, this, these are, these are real, truly deeply held beliefs, which makes it, I mean, that's what makes it powerful, right? It wouldn't work if it was all cynical, like people believe it. And people who aren't plugged into the Republican Party machine believe it. That's why it's unfortunately working so well. Yeah. And that's one thing about, uh, with, when I, I was really surprised at the resistance to masking and to vaccinating uh, because yeah. beliefs trump science. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what the actual facts are. There was somebody who wrote into uh, Facebook a long time ago saying that they don't want uh, teaching to get in the way of their child's beliefs. They want to instill their child's beliefs and have that continue. But that's not what mm-hmm. public schools are for. Public schools, well, it's interesting that uh, it kind of does fit in with what Trump said about uh, loving the uneducated. <laughs> he, he was really open about that. Um, oh, yeah. But aren't there some topics largely dealing with sexuality that are not appropriate for young kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure you could find someone who thinks that kids should learn about, you know, every hardcore pornographic topic you could find out there. But I feel like they're in the the vanishingly small minority. I think that one thing that we can all surely agree on is that kids don't need to learn about graphic sexual content. What's at issue here isn't graphic sexual content. And I think that's a message that's, you know, getting lost. You know, if you listen to Moms for Liberty and other groups like them, you would think that, you know, people are being, you know, kids are being told, you know, shown pictures of people having sex. What they're being shown is at the most, I mean, one of the books, this is a great example. One of the books that is most cited is one of those kind of like birds and bees books. It's like, here's what the human body does. Like, here's what puberty is. You know, you're going to have this happen to you. You know, when a man, you know, when a, when a person with a penis puts, you know, basically just how sex happens, not in a graphic way, but in an informative way. And I think we have this strange idea at this point in in our country that learning the basic facts of biology has some kind of sexual like titillation to it. And I just don't think that's true. I've seen the illustrations in these books. They're, they're cartoon depictions of, various secondary sexual characteristics but that's kids information that kids need to learn 
girls are starting to go through puberty at seven and eight years old now. Yeah. This is something that's started to happen. It's, you know, that's a whole other can of worms. But the fact is, kids need to know this stuff. This isn't a matter of sexual titillation. It isn't a matter of grooming. This is a matter of knowing what your body is. And America has such a problem with separating out the realities of having a body with sexual activity. That I mean, this is just... This is a message I think we have to push back against or kids are going to start, you know, having experiences like I think used to happen all the time, you know, decades ago where a young girl would get her period and have no idea what was going on. Think she's dying, you know, Mm. that we don't want that. That's not good. No, and it's it's been going on for some time and uh, it doesn't do any any good, of course, for for kids not to know about this. But you, you used a key word here, grooming. Tell uh-huh. us about the what's what's the the weight to the word grooming here now? Oh my lord! Yeah, that has become <laughs> one of those one of those words that just seems inescapable right now. The idea that teachers are grooming kids, and this word grooming traditionally before all this began refers to the practice of like an adult basically preparing a kid mentally for an eventual assault. So gaining trust with the kid, you know, getting the kid alone a lot, establishing patterns of keeping secrets from adults, basically kind of training the kid not to tell if and when the adult uh, does something horrific to the child. Ew. So that's the traditional meaning. Yeah, no, horrible stuff. And, and a very important word to describe a very real phenomenon that we need to be very aware of. However, at this point, grooming is basically referring to anything that, that teaches kids about the existence of sex or that sex exists or that, you know, non-straight relationships exist is being labeled as grooming. And this, I I hope that people realize how this just ties right into things like you mentioned Pizzagate with the idea that Hillary Clinton is, you know, raping children in the basement of a pizza place that doesn't have a basement. Um, And and of course, you know, the the follow on QAnon, which is the elephant in the room. No one is saying QAnon anymore, the words, but it's very present. I had a recent article in New York Magazine about this, how it's very here. And I mean, the word is central to a lot of those conspiracy theories, this idea that there's this, you know, satanic cabal of pedophiles who are setting out to basically groom all children, like not in a specific way, but to train them to just generally be acquiescent to adult desires. And it's, I mean, it's, it's gross. That's not what they're saying in Moms for Liberty outright, but the use of the word grooming ties in really well to these very scary conspiracy theories. And I think, you know, that's on purpose. Well, it actually, it certainly works. For those who may have just tuned in, yes. Bert, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about Keeping Democracy Alive with uh, with uh, Laura Jadid, uh, who's written an article for uh, New Repub- the New Republic about uh, Moms for Liberty, which has created nightmares for schools across the country. The group of parents has injected conservative politics, I would say right-wing politics, into classrooms mm-hmm. and reshaped the 2022 uh, midterms. And uh, there was, during the Trump campaign, I found it amazing how often there would be guys driving big trucks, big loud cars, who would talk about losing maleness, you know, and and the threat to male domination. And they talk about pedophile as if as if it's something that yes democrats are pedophiles the fact that joe biden is a hugger he is that's what he does uh he's hugged people 
that somehow that's p- pedophilia. And there's that thing about, uh, you know, when you accuse somebody, you're kind of uh, admitting something. The, the level, the intensity by which these, these men uh, saw uh, uh, pedophilia and they charged that with at a recent uh, play here that was a drag show. That's mm-hmm. that that powerful fear is really, it's it's intense, and I I don't know how much is still going on. I mean, I saw it you know back in November when Trump was running. Um, yeah, they have won quite a few victories. Obviously, the victory of uh, Glenn Youngkin in in Virginia. I think it was partially because the Democrat was not particularly appealing. But, <laughs> I mean, let's face it, I supported somebody else. But uh, it was, one, one could see that once this, uh, you know, uh, teachers conspiring to indoctrinate our kids, that that became the issue, that was all Youngkin needed. Mm-hmm. That was all he needed to win. And I don't know if it was close, but he, he won pretty clearly. And, oh, yes. Well, you're about to say something. Oh, no, I was just agreeing. Um, yes, absolutely. It was a very clear victory. And uh, yeah, I think that's basically the, the two things that Youngkin did that were different than what former candidates had done is he distanced himself from Trump and he embraced the school board moms. And the conservative, I mean, the Republican Party is at this point the party of Trump. They cannot embrace the distance from Trump thing as a, on a national level. I mean, local candidates are doing it. We're seeing them have some success, you know, some in some places, not as much in others. But the one thing they can embrace on a national level is definitely this issue of school boards and getting people upset about the idea of, of indoctrination and pedophilia. And um, on the pedophilia subject, I, I agree. It is very interesting that this is becoming so central in our discourse in, in a way that I certainly don't remember in my lifetime ever having pedophilia be anything but something that is gross and doesn't happen very much. Right. But I do think I think that it stands in and that this is just theorizing. I have no idea. But I mean, this is everyone has this feeling that the world is getting worse and that our kids are going to have a worse time of it than we did. And I think this anxiety over a worse world for our children is pedophilia is like a a way, I think, almost to talk about this thing that's happening. We're we're all very worried about what's going to what kind of world our kids are going to inhabit. And I think that it makes it's hard to put that into words, but it's very easy to describe the act of, of pedophilia. And I think that might be why we're gravitating towards that. I think there's a real there's a real anxiety here, you know? Yeah, there is. And and if you can latch onto something that everybody is afraid of, everybody hates mm-hmm. you know. That's that's smart politics. I hate to say it. Uh, so, t- teachers in New Hampshire, there we actually have a law. There's a new law that the teachers union argue is arguing that it limits how teachers can discuss slavery and unconscious mm. bias, among other things. Mm-hmm. But the law is so vague that it amounts to broad censorship of of teachers in New Hampshire. The Republican Attorney General's office wants the court to dismiss the two lawsuits filed against the state. I, I can imagine how teachers feel that this is so broad. I mean, how can you, you can't discuss slavery and you can't discuss uh, unconscious bias? What kind of room does that leave yeah. teachers? And of course, teachers are in it for so much money after all. Right. Yeah, I know. I know. Right. I mean, it's not. And that is I mean, that is the purpose of it, um, according to um, an organization called Pen America, which is basically a um, an advocacy book, uh, an advocacy group for freedom of 
reading what wow let me start that all over again sure um what's according to pen america pen america yes 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 yeah it's um yeah it's a great organization that they yes. um their mission is to defend free expression and basically fight back against book bans, but they have found that this the the, the new thing that's happening here look there's always been in America this push to ban books I mean going back to obviously the Puritans you know got us started and we've done it ever since what's different yeah. this time is exactly what you're talking about which they've termed gag orders I think it's exactly accurate things like the don't say gay bill in Florida and the bill in New Hampshire you're describing basically it's not you're not banning one book you're banning all types of books. And because they're so vaguely worded, you've hit it right on the head. They can choose when to prosecute and when not to. So to err on the side of caution, teachers are going to self-center. Is that self-censor? Yes. Um, just for, for basically to try to protect themselves. And this is really widespread. Um, as of February 22nd, um, 156 gag order bills in 34 states were introduced between January 21 and February 22. Of those 12 have passed, 113 are still under consideration. So this has the potential, if the Republicans win big in 22, and even if they don't, this has the potential to impact a lot of kids and a lot of education and honestly change the face of American public education. My goodness. And really affect the the basic notion that we live in, that, that we have a republic, that we are self-governing, that uh, we have some degree of freedom. Uh, it really yeah. uh, kind of attacks that. Where do they get their money? What people and organizations filter money to them? There are 501c4. Oh. So... Uh, That's such a great question, and nobody knows the answer yeah. um, because they're yeah no it's it's really I mean people are trying right the trouble is because they're a five hundred one c four they'll never have to di uh, disclose the name of their donors they will have to file how much money they're receiving but because they incorporated you know in twenty one which is recent and because they've deferred filing uh, they will not file anything until after the midterms which means yeah. you won't even know what their budget <laughs> is never mind where it's coming from. I will say, though, that I think one of the brilliant things about Moms for Liberty from a tactical perspective mm -hmm. is that they don't actually need that much money. They're, this is not an expensive operation. Oh, you know, they sell the T-shirts, which raises some money. Um, they've got websites online that can basically teach parents like Randy Howard how to found their own chapters. And then they, you know, they can have some fundraising events, and they've had some. They've had a fundraising event with uh, Megan Kelly. They had one with Ben Carson. Those yeah. guys don't come cheap, but you know that I feel like that's their big expense. That's, I mean, this is a really they don't need a lot of money to do what they're doing. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah. We spend on the other side spend so much money on TV, which is ridiculous, <laughs> but going door to door and really connecting with people, people forget that. Uh -huh. And I think, quite frankly, that's one of the problems why we did so poorly in the low lower density population areas because we just ignore them they don't want to be ignored they don't want to be ignored uh, nobody does on the other <laughs> side of the mom's issue is chattanooga's moms for social justice tell us please about taylor lyons and what she has gone through um, that I, what a great, I mean, that's the reason that I chose Chattanooga was because Moms for Social Justice is there. This is a tremendous group uh, founded by Taylor Lyons and a few other people. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name them just because I know they face some harassment and I don't know if they would be okay with it, mm. but it was a group of moms in the wake of Charlottesville, the Charlottesville riot, right. um, who would like, they had a, it had a Facebook group and they talked about, you know, they don't like what's going on. They're progressive moms, but after Charlottesville, they realized they have to do something. And uh, so they 
got together in uh, Taylor Wyans' basement and founded Moms for Social Justice. This was in 2017. So before Moms for Liberty was a gleam in um, Bridget Ziegler's eye, this happened. And um, they started out doing some, you know, some protests some counter protests. They um, they had some story hours at library with progressive books. Their big push, though, which they um, as uh, as Taylor says in the in the article, not the one they expected to be controversial was these classroom libraries. So 2018, they were doing some volunteer work in some of um, Chattanooga's poorest schools, which um, for the record, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, like a lot of areas of Tennessee and the South and, and the world in general in America um, are highly segregated and uh, the funding differences are, are dramatic. So in some of these underfunded schools, they notice that these libraries are wastelands, like the shelves are basically empty and the books that are there are horrifically out of date and not wow. interesting to the kids. Now, they didn't, you know, this is a grass, this is a true grassroots organization. They don't have funds to renovate all these libraries, but they could, they realized, do classroom libraries. So they applied for some grants and they went into classrooms and they turned corners of the classrooms into little libraries for the kids with, you know, comfortable chairs and good lighting and a carefully curated collection of books from a variety of, you know, different authors from different demographics, you know, protagonists of color, protagonists who are LGBTQ. And then, you know, Moms for Social Forms and, you know, in mid-2021, they discovered that a group called Moms for Social Justice was using grant money to fill classrooms with literature, basically, you know, asserting that it's pornographic literature. And I'm sure you can imagine the kerfuffle that resulted. So it's been a bit of a war ever since. Oh, lovely wars. If those, for those who may have just tuned in, my goodness, we're talking about the culture war. And it's ugly. Uh, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're addressing something called Moms for Liberty with a freelance journalist who's written an article for the uh, New Republic titled uh, Moms for Liberty Has Created Nightmares for Schools Across the Country. And this is more than just an inconvenience for the schools. This is something uh, that's really culturally a threat. I, I think a threat to our traditional values. What what is the uh, the classroom library project? Who's who's putting who's undertaking that, and what are its goals? Yeah, um, that is that is Monster Social Justice, and uh. they've been at it since 2018. And um, basically, the goal is to get kids interested in reading by uh. supplying them with books that they can relate to. Um, I got the opportunity to talk to a librarian in one of these underserved schools, and um, this is not connected to um, Moms for Social Justice Classroom Library Project specifically, but, you know, there have been efforts across the board to try to get books that can engage kids into these libraries. And told me this really incredible story about a book, I believe it was on the come up, it might have been The Hate You Give. I think it was The Hate You Give, which is a book um, by a Black author about a girl who witnesses her friend get murdered in a, an incident of police brutality and then has to deal with it. Ooh. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's critically acclaimed. It's won uh, just a bucket load of awards, bestseller also one of the you know most targeted books by sure. groups like Moms for Liberty. And this librarian told me the story of this student who's black and dyslexic and you know has really struggled to read, but was coming in, this is high school, and you know, was so engaged by this book that she was, you know, she fought her way through it, would come in every couple of days to talk about the characters in the book with this librarian. And once she finished the book, she kept reading. After, you know, after she finished that book, she kept going back to read more. You know, this made a difference in her life. Oh, and right. for a lot of these kids, 
the, this, the library, this is where they get their books. It's not a matter of being able to go to a public library. For this student, a library, the nearest public library is 10 minutes away by car. Chattanooga is not a walking front of the city. A lot of these students do not have access to transportation. The school library is what they get. It makes a huge difference. And I will say, having two kids my own, my my 21-year-old daughter has said, oh, kids don't read anymore. They just, they're on their internet mm-hmm. thingy all the time. And that's really <laughs> concerning. I think reading is important. I mean, call me old-fashioned, but, you know, reading develops your ability to think for yourself. Of course, that's, I can see why that's a threat to them. Uh, when the January 6th attack and people like uh, Josh Holling calling for a return to straight male dominance and control, it, mm-hmm. it does appear there's not a lot of listening going on, especially in less densely populated regions. People... They're, they're like in, in bubbles. Their way of seeing and being in the world is the only way. How does that affect democracy and a Republican form of government as we go forward? How pervasive is this description, do you think? How worrisome, yeah. too. No, I worry about it all the time. I mean, I would. I think that's the problem of our age, if you had to boil it down. I mean, earlier I was talking about how I go to these, you know, conservative and far-right events, and they know things that we don't know. It's not a question of whether communist China is in league with the Democratic Party to destroy American values and, and bring a reign of terror. That's just a known fact at a lot of these things. Like, that's known, in the, like I said, the same way that we know the earth is round. And that's a huge problem. People do. They're in these bubbles where they don't have the same idea of what the world is. I think a lot of that is social media. I mean, you mentioned the importance of reading. I think you're, there, there was a time where we all read roughly the same things. And now we live in a world where the Internet will curate what you find in a Google search oh, or what no. you see on social media to exactly what you believe. And yes, so you have these these worlds where you've got one group that's absolutely convinced that teachers are showing kids pornographic novels and then another group that knows that's not true. And yeah, I mean, there isn't a lot of listening going on. And it's a problem that I, I do think is I mean, I think it's on both sides, but I think right. there's on the right, it's more. There was in the article, I talk a little bit about Brandy Howard's childhood, which was rough right. and, and informs her opinion of public school and the reason that it's so important. And you know, when I talked to Taylor Lyons afterwards, she's like, you know, I, I, I didn't know that. I felt a little abashed. You know, it makes me think differently. And then a few days later, she sent me this, you know, Facebook post from one of the moms from Moms for Liberty, read the same article, which talks about, you know, Taylor Lyons' past as well and why she's involved. And there, the reaction was not the same. It was just, you know, you know, read this article and look what these, you know, these witches, these satanic witches are pushing on our kids. It's just like, you know, they can... People on the right can call for civil dialogue all they want, and yeah. I think we should have more civil dialogue. I'm just not seeing a lot of it coming from the right either, that's all. Is there any reaching out? I, I've been convinced for a long time that Democrats haven't listened, haven't respected yeah. the other side. Is there anything coming from the the Democratic side with a small d that's mm-hmm. reaching out and, and had some degree of success in discussing these issues and with the yeah. uh, Moms for Liberty and people like that? Yeah. I mean, I think grassroots group like Moms for Social Justice are fantastic. I think that's a good way to get the community involved. And the thing that I love about them is they're offering something specific. You mentioned this earlier, like they're doing a real thing, like we're going to make kids' lives better. I think so much of it is it's not even... I mean, I think the matter of not listening to people in rural areas is huge for, for the Democrats. But I also think we're just not... There's no promise. There's, you know, not that... 
We'll not do that. We'll just uh-huh. not. And that's not a compelling, you know, answer. everyone who looks around, no one I think is like, oh, everything's going great. This yeah. is fine. Everything's good. It's great. You know, we've got literacy problems in school, but that's fine. You know, it's, it's, you have to offer something. It's not even just a matter of making people feel heard. It's a matter of giving people hope, like real hope. Like this is what we're going to do. We are going to make your life better. And that is not something that seems to be on offer from the democratic side that is on offer on the right. I I don't think that it's going to make things better. I think it's going to make them a lot worse, but they're offering something different and that matters. And they're saying that the way they're going to make life better is not, is erasing this stuff. You don't want to see how, how are they making it better? I mean, they're not. I, I don't think they are. I think they're going to make it dramatically worse. Oh, yeah. But if they can, I mean, they're they're offering something different, though. And that's, I mean, I'm not, I I don't like what they're offering. But I think that the, the thing that the Democrats with this faulty need, to, the Democratic side needs to do is offer something different, something that will make people's lives better, actually better. Because that's, I mean, to me, as somebody who is on, I'm, as a leftist, I believe, I'm, I'm a leftist because I believe the left has real solutions yes. that can really help people. And I, I mean, I'm sure that's the same with you. You know, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't think that. So we need to start offering those solutions. We need to offer roads to getting there. I know it's going to be hard. I know there's a lot of obstructionists, but if we don't offer anything, why should anyone listen? <laughs> Absolutely. If we don't hoist anything up the flagpole, who the heck is going to salute? Exactly. Uh, is is the Moms for Liberty movement gaining traction still, do you think? Do we expect to see it even emerge even more as the uh, election comes closer? I mean, I'd be shocked if we didn't. Every time I check back, the, the count of chapters has gone up. Now, how many of them are active? You know, how many of them are going to school board meetings? I have no idea. But the number keeps going up. And it's working very well, I think, to get people mobilized. So wherever they're getting their funding, I'm sure they'll be getting more of it, you know, going into the elections. And I do think they're, I think they are gaining traction. Um, you know, they've had some success yeah. legislatively. I I can't predict the future, of course, but yeah, no, I, I think this is, this is the opposite of going away. This is going to stay for a while. Oh my goodness. And as anybody who knows me knows, I love history, especially history that has been left out of your textbooks. I've been doing that for years. And uh, but the more history you know, the more free you are. Liberty. I, I just a, a quick one. What do you think the, the uh, Moms for Liberty means by the term liberty, and how would it mean? What does it mean to you? Oh my lord! Yeah, yeah. that is, is such a pivotal question, and that just on a quick rant, I just feel like America generally, like we use this word liberty and freedom, but it means so many different things to so many different people. It's a real nebulous concept. I mean, I've been arguing about what that means since Socrates. For them, I think it is the liberty to teach your kids whatever you want. It's the freedom to make sure that your kids learn what you think they should. And Mm -hmm. that is an interesting definition of freedom. It's one of those freedoms that takes away freedoms from other people, which I think to me is not a good definition of of liberty. Um, To me, I, and I agree with you. I think that to me, liberty is the ability to have access to the information, a wide variety of information, and then be able to make your own decisions about it. Come to your own conclusions, learn to think critically, not be a slave to what you're told, but instead be able to to figure it out for yourself and to i mean i and that is antithetical to me that is antithetical to what moms for liberty is doing taking books out of schools and removing choice for kids to learn i think that kids should also have some liberty in their ability to learn all about the world and then uh, decide wow freedom 
Yeah, what a concept. Democracy, what a concept. If people want to uh, read more of your stuff, it sounds like it might be a lot more fun to read. What can you suggest? How can they uh, track your stuff? Yeah, um, well, you can visit uh, lauragedeed.com. That's J-E-D-E-E-D. Uh, I am the only Laura Jadid, so I'm pretty yeah. easy to find. I'm on Twitter. Nobody should be on Twitter, but if you're on Twitter, right. I'm on Twitter, and I post <laughs> articles there. Um, but yeah, you know, I write for a variety of publications. Please check me out. Thank you so much, and let's see if we can keep liberty alive. Thank you so much, Laura Jadid. Thank you so days. much. It's absolute pleasure. Your mother should know. Your mother should know. 